You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey everybody and welcome to Mosaic Church today. So glad to see you. We're going to be starting something brand new today. I'm super excited about that. But before we get into it, let me just take a moment here today to honor Black History Month where we get to recognize and celebrate the contributions of black people in this nation, in this church, and of course, maybe even for me, most importantly, in my life. I would not be who I am today without the love, without the challenge, without the support, without the mentorship from the leadership from specifically black Christians in my life. So the history of black people, you know, this isn't just the history of this nation. It's also a part of the history of the church of Jesus. So I hope you'll join me this month in giving honor where honor is due. Yeah, but we are starting something brand new today, something I think will be really impactful for you, uh, for your family, for your emotions, for your your faith, for your spirituality. Even if you're just joining us today for the first time, somebody invited you and you wouldn't say that you have any kind of faith or real spirituality right now. A number of years ago, back when my day job was working with college students at the University of Texas here in Austin, uh, our Christian ministry there was doing a presentation on, on campus about some of the challenges associated with a strictly atheistic worldview. And after then, at that night, afterward, after the meeting, a graduate student in microbiology came down at the end to challenge some of what he had heard and some of what he had heard me say and what was presented. And we talked for a long time, like an hour or more. We were like the last ones left in the room and after a lot of back and forth, he asked me why I had decided to believe in Jesus. And I share with him my story, which involves, as you'll hear later in this series, some extremely supernatural and miraculous details. And I shared those with him and I'll never forget what he said. Actually, he asked me in response to all of that, he he burst out kind of, kind of out of the blue, the last thing that I thought I would hear him say. He asked me, and he started to kind of kind of shake when he asked me. He said, well, 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 are you sure you didn't hallucinate it? Are you sure you didn't hallucinate it? And I was a little offended by that. Like, you know, number one, are you asking me if I was on drugs? No, I wasn't. And number two, like, I was there. You, you weren't. But really... I was far less offended and I was far more grateful that he gave me this deep insight in a front row view into something uh, that's uh, inherent to the human condition when it comes to faith. It's something you probably already know, which is this. People have all kinds of reasons to believe or disbelieve in a God or the supernatural. Some are rational reasons, but not always. Some are cultural reasons but not always. Some are emotional, but not always. Some are experiential. Some are a a combination of one or more. And this guy in that story, in that room, a very smart, very educated guy, when he heard my story, he didn't just challenge me rationally. He challenged me emotionally. And I had hit a nerve with him somehow, not trying to. It just kind of all came spilling out of him. And that was not just helpful for me, but it was important to see in that conversation, along with a lot of others, Plus, where we are in our cultural moment right now as a nation, maybe where you are right now has led to today and what you're going to hear over the next several weeks, which is this. I'm going to do my best to try to give you some emotional, cultural, and rational reasons for why I not only believe the Christian faith is true, but why I think that if you don't already, that you should maybe even want it to be true. 
And the reason I say that is this, because for a lot of people, what they know about the Christian faith is built far more off blogs, off news media, sound bites, something like their friend or professor told them, and far less that they've been shaped around personally wrestling with the central claims of the Christian faith and how those claims shape human life. And so I think... I think that if we could understand those better, if we could get closer to grasping, really personally wrestling with those central claims, that maybe some of you, if you haven't before already, that you might see something new. You might feel something new and maybe even put your faith and hope and trust in those claims. But of course, of course, I'm a Christian pastor, so of course you'd expect me to say something like that. But week by week as we go, and I'm going to try to make today as compelling as I can so you'll come back next week. I'm going to be exploring those reasons to believe. I'm going to try to deal also with some objections that you might have to those those reasons. And so it's going to build as we go. You're not going to get all my cards and sort of in one hand today, so to speak. Last thing before I get going. For all those Christian people watching today that I also think, I think, And if you'll be here for these, if you'll listen, if you'll consider what you hear, that you will think a little better. Maybe feel a little better, feel more grounded, more inspired. You will be better for having gone through all of this. So all I'm saying is give me a chance, please. But today I want to start off with something that I think is a far more emotionally oriented reason why I believe Christianity is true. And it's this. Here's what we're talking about today is that Christianity gives you an indestructible meaning in life. Christianity gives you an indestructible meaning in life. Now, if that's true, and I think that it is, it just might change a lot. I change a lot, but is it true? Let's try to find out. I'm going to try to ask and answer three questions today in order. And I'm going to ask and try to answer. Number one, what is meaning in life? Number two, is it possible to have meaning in life without God? And number three, if Christianity were true, what would that meaning be? What is meaning? Is it possible to have it without God? And if it's true, what would that meaning be? Let's go number one and just ask, what is meaning in a life? And maybe a better way of putting it right here would just be to ask, what is the meaning of meaning? That's important to know. And at this point, this may seem a little silly to you, as in like, Morgan, are you really asking what the meaning of meaning is? And the answer is yes. I'll be super fast about it. It's important to take a look at. What is the meaning of meaning? Just so we're clear, let's look at a couple of things quickly that meaning in life is not. Meaning is not or is different than just a goal. As in some of you, you may have a goal to make your laundry baskets at home feel all nice and tight and ordered like a friend of mine does. Or maybe you feel good when you, you win that trophy or you make that A or you get that promotion. And those are good, but those are more like goals you have in life, not, not meaning itself. And listen, I, I don't care who, who wins that big game today, no matter who it is, their meaning in life cannot be. Maybe even should not be, I think, to win a game or a trophy. Now, our goals can give us a clue to our meaning, but they're not the same. Second, meaning is different or is not the same as desire. As in a desire, something that you really want to have happen, something you really want to be true, but that doesn't mean that it will happen or is true. Now, our desires, next week we'll see this, can give us a clue to truth, to meaning in life, but they're not the same. So if a meaning is not a goal, it's not a desire, well, what is it? This is my best stab at a definition for you. Meaning is the understanding 
of the purpose of something. It's the understanding of the purpose of something. For example, if I burst in on you right now into your very COVID safe house or apartment and yelled with my mask on, of course, like this nice lady, not wearing a mask up, fire the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Yeah. What would the meaning of that be? You, in that moment, you would understand that I'm not just pointing out a fact. No, you'd understand that the purpose of my words would be to save you from the potential and painful meaning of the chemical reaction that takes place at the, at the meeting place of, of oxygen, fuel, heat, and your skin. See, the purpose of my yelling fire at you would be to save you. That's what yelling fire means. See, it means there's a meaning that is larger than just the word alone. And in the same way to have meaning in life means we say there's a purpose to us. There's a purpose to life that's larger than life alone. Now, number two, let's ask, is it possible to have that, to have meaning in life without God? If there's no God, is it possible to have meaning in life? Now, here's my answer. And if you don't know me, this may surprise you as an answer coming from a person in my position. But if you do know me, this answer really won't surprise you at all. My answer is yes and no. Yes and no. If there's no God, is it possible to have meaning in life? Yes and no. And here's what I mean. Let's talk about the yes first. There is a remarkable consensus today among non-Christian secular thinkers, and we're going to look at what some of them say in just a moment, consensus that you actually can have meaning in life today without God because all you have to do is make it up. All you have to do is to decide what your personal meaning is. What they're saying is this, while there is no transcendent meaning, no objective meaning, no discovered meaning, there is a created meaning because you can make one up to suit your needs. Let me give you three thinkers who sort of push you that way. All non-Christians, secularists. Uh, Thomas Nagel, first of all, up until a couple of years ago, was a professor at New York University. He wrote a little book on philosophy. The last chapter is called Meaning in Life. He said this, quote, even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your effort will vanish. If your life is to matter, it can only matter, quote unquote, from the inside. From the outside, it wouldn't matter if you never existed. And after you have gone out of existence, it won't have mattered that you did exist. If one's life has any point as part of something larger, it's still possible to ask, what is the point of that? Now, what's he saying? He's saying that the only meaning you could possibly make up is meaning on the inside or from the inside because there's no meaning, he's saying, that comes from outside you. There's no outside God, outside voice, outside great mind or cause. And so what that means is, yeah, while you, you may want to work for justice, You may want to care for the poor. It really makes no difference than if you were a serial killer. You exploited your workers. You were a a corporate profiteer. It didn't really matter. Now, if you want meaning, because there's no God, you're going to have to make it up on the inside. But again, like he said, what is the point of that? Stephen Jay Gould from Harvard, famous paleontologist, has passed away. He said more or less the same thing. Interview. Life Magazine, 1988. He said this, quote, We are here because one odd group of fishes 
had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age because a small and tenuous species arriving in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature. We must construct these answers ourselves. One more here, a guy named Jerry Coyne. Jerry's a biologist, gets a little crusty sometimes. At Chicago University, he puts it like this. Quote, the cosmos does not give us one iota of evidence for God. The universe is mostly cold, bleak, airless, and uninhabitable. So we secularists see a universe without any purpose, and we realize we must forge our own purpose and ethics and not derive them from a God for which there is no purpose or evidence. But look at this. When he turns the meaning in life, look at what he says. Look how he makes his move. He says, but although the universe is purposeless, our lives aren't. We make our own purposes and they are real. Right now, my purpose is to write this piece and then I'll work on a book I'm writing. Later, I'll have dinner with a friend. Soon, I'll go to Poland to visit some more friends. Maybe later, I'll read a nice book and learn something. These are real purposes. Now, what do we say to that? Well, again, if we define meaning in life, as Jerry Coyne does, as just having goals, stuff we do every day, then yeah, you have a purpose. And of course, I would agree with that if that's how you define purpose and meaning. That's my yes to the question. But let me now push back and give you my no on a deeper level, a no in two parts. And here's why. Because you should realize that we are the first culture in the history of the world to insist there is no discovered, no transcendent meaning in life, that meaning is only subjective and whatever I make up. We are the first culture, in other words, to, to insist and to say that meaning and purpose don't really exist. Now, remember at the end of, of I, Robot, have you seen that sci-fi movie with Will Smith? Remember, remember Sonny? The robot, yeah, Sonny was programmed by his creator to head off a global robot takeover. And aren't they always global, right? But once he does that, he turns to Will Smith at the end of the movie. This is sort of the climax. And he says this, now that I have fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do. Detective Spooner, Will Smith says, I guess you'll have to find your way like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. Now, that is our modern experiment with meaning put into the mouth of Will Smith, that you make up whatever you think you should be. But let me tell you, the Greeks didn't believe that. Nordic peoples didn't believe that. Buddhists don't believe that. Hindus don't believe that. Native spiritualities don't believe that. Christians, Muslims, Jews don't believe that. Every one of those phase or cultures has said in the past, at some level, there is transcendent meaning that you discover and align yourselves with. Truth exists and it's outside you. But we say, no, the only truth and meaning is what we make up for ourselves. Now, what I want to try to do now is to do my best to show you why I believe there are two massive flaws with the way our culture constructs meaning. First is this, let me tell you, created meaning or self-created meaning isn't rational. Let's go back to Jerry Coyne for a moment, old Jerry. Jerry says, listen, I make up my meaning, you make up your meaning. Jerry says, I'm going to go to Poland, visit some friends, that's my meaning. Oh, but 
back to Tom Nagel. Tom Nagel said, hey, hey, wait a minute, Jerry. Let's be like super honest for a minute, bro. Because Tom Nagel says, okay, fine, Jerry. You want to insist that going to Poland and reading a book is your purpose in life? That's cool. But A, what's the point of that? And B, why are you even thinking about meaning if there is no God, why are you trying to insist on that? Why are you trying to make one up? Tom Nagel says, we should just stop thinking about meaning. Stop insisting that we can make it up. Because if you think too hard about it, because it's not real, you're just going to upset yourself. So don't think about it. You'll be happier, Jerry. Like Bertrand Russell said, if you just build your life on the scaffolding of unyielding despair, stop thinking about it. Now, into this conversation has, has wandered someone that you'll hear from a couple of times in this series by the name of C.S. Lewis, because I think when it comes to these conversations, he's got quite a lot to say. And here's how he puts it. He said, quote, he's speaking to this conversation. He says, if nature is all that exists, in other words, if there is no God and no life of some quite different sort somewhere outside nature, then all stories or purposes or meanings will end up the same way. In a universe from which all life is banished without possibility of return. It will have been an accidental flicker and there will be no one even to remember it. So what are you going to do if that's true? He's going to ask you here. If there's no meaning in life, what are you going to do if you have to create meaning for yourself? Lewis goes on. He says you might simply decide to have as good a time as possible. The universe is a universe of nonsense. But since you're here, grab what you can. Unfortunately, however, there is on these terms so very little left to grab, only the coarsest sensual pleasures. You can't, except in the lowest animal sense, be in love with a girl if you know and keep on remembering that all the beauties, both of her person and of her character, are a momentary and accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms, and that your own response to them is only a sort of psychic phosphorescence arising from the behavior uh, of your genes. And let me just tell you, all the fellows out there, if you're, if you're, Valentine's Day is coming up next weekend, <clears throat> I would tell you, I would not advise you to feed that line to your significant other. Like, hey, I'm just feeling this way because of a psychic phosphorescence arising from my genes. The collision of my atoms makes me in love with you. That's not going to go over well. Lewis concludes like this. You can't go on getting any very serious pleasure from music if you know and remember that its air of significance is a pure illusion. That you like it only because your nervous system is irrationally conditioned to like it. You may still, in the lowest sense, have a good time. But just insofar as it becomes very good, just insofar as it ever threatens to push you on from cold sensuality into real warmth and enthusiasm and joy, so far you will be forced to feel the hopeless disharmony between your own emotions and the universe in which you really live. Lewis here, he's just pointing out what Nagel was trying to say, that the only way to justify meaning in life, if there is no God, is by not thinking about it, by not being rational, by not engaging your mind, by not being consistent if you say there's no meaning. So what do we do with that? Christian or not, if you're saying today, Morgan, I believe there's some kind of meaning in life. Well, then if you believe that, I think we should ask this question. The, the, the great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy put that question like this in a moment of his own deep spiritual crisis. I love how he puts it. Look at this. He said, my question was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man from the foolish child to the wisest elder. It was a question without an answer to which one cannot live as I had found by experience. It was what will come 
of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Differently expressed, the question is, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It could also be expressed like this. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? You're saying, oh, God, it's kind of bleak, Morgan. Yeah, Tom Nagel would say, hey, Leo, we know, why are you so serious? You Russian novelists are all the same. You're always so you know, uptight and serious. So you stop, stop thinking about meaning. Stop asking the question. But Tolstoy says, no, no way. No, the meaning thing, it keeps breaking in on me. I can't help it. And that question, he would say, is in your soul too, Tom Nagel, Jerry Coyne, Stephen Jay Gould. The only way you guys get around it is really by not thinking too deeply. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you what I believe. For the Christian, the way to find meaning is actually by thinking more, not less. By engaging your mind more, not less. And here's what I mean. Christians have said, they believe, we believe, that you are loved and forgiven by the God of the universe. That if you die right now, that your life will only get permanently upgraded and that one day all problems and evil will be gone not only from your life but from the universe yeah and yesterday i saw all this come true in a way yesterday i watched yesterday a devoted christ follower woman in this church bury her four-year-old daughter you know what she said she got up in front of the crowd talked about her hope the resurrection, talked about the indescribable peace that she had, talked about how her, about her belief that her child was at peace in the presence of God. And then she smiled and she challenged the audience, think about, believe the same. What was she doing? She She was thinking her way into a place of peace. See, Christians feel better, not by thinking less about difficulty and death, but about thinking by thinking more. So first, self-created meaning isn't rational. And second, here's my second no to the question. Second, self-created meaning isn't durable. It can't really last. Back to Tolstoy's question. Quote, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? And to that question... Someone wrote a book about it. Viktor Frankl was a famous Jewish doctor. He survived the Nazi death camps. And he wrote a book about his survival of the Nazi camps called Man's Search for Meaning. And he said there were three kinds of people in those death camps, extermination camps. Number one, he said there were, there were those who became bad uh, and worse, unfortunately, in the face of so much tragedy and pain. There were people who became worse. They, they informed for the enemies. They became uh, brutal. They betrayed their fellow human, put others down to survive. Second group of people were those who just curled up. They wasted away and died. They lost hope and purpose and meaning. But three, he said there were those who maintained their dignity and their nobility and their goodness, their self, even in the camp. And he wanted to know how it was that that third group did what he did. And he studied it and he researched it. And here's what he decided after seeing death, after seeing real evil and suffering up close, face to face. He said this, if you have a meaning in life, it's self-created that you make up from the inside, like going to Poland with friends, uh, with the death camp, we'll take it from you. And what he discovered was that it was only those, almost all religious people who had a meaning outside themselves, who believed there was meaning and truth and goodness outside this world, and that this world was not all that there was. Those were the ones who made it through and who kept their self. Now, back to our culture, out of our culture. Do you want to know why? 
why I think that we as a culture struggle with suffering so much. It's not just because it's hard, because listen, it's normal to struggle when things get hard, but we don't just struggle. No, we as a culture, we despair in the face of suffering. Why? Remember, we've been taught, unlike every other culture in history, that there is no meaning outside this world. We've got to make it up. We've got to have money, success, fame, power, platform, looks. Oh, but sooner or later, and you know this, a death camp of some kind is going to break in on that dream. A death camp of some kind, maybe a global pandemic, maybe an economic recession, a job loss, the death of a child, a parent, a friend. Come along and take away that meaning if that's where you placed it. And in that, at that moment, we lose ourselves. In other words, I'll put it like this. If you have a meaning in this life that anything in this life can take away, you don't have real meaning in life. I'll say it again. If you have a meaning in this life that anything in this life can take away, you don't have real meaning in life. Is there meaning in life without God? Yeah. If it's just something you do on a day-by-day basis, daily activities, and you don't think too hard about it. That's not rational. I don't think it's durable. So number three, number three. Then if Christianity were true, and I believe it is, what would that meaning be? One of the first followers of Jesus of Nazareth in the first century, someone named John, he wrote this. He said, quote, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, remember how we looked at how every culture before ours said something uh, to the effect that meaning is discovered, not created. Well, the Christian faith says that same thing with a a permanent line, a permanent uh, twist that's different than every other faith system and culture. And let me give you one example by giving you... An example, uh, my wife and I really enjoy a cup or two or three or four of these every day. It's coffee. And if you didn't know that, well, you, you do now. But recently, we just bought this fancy coffee maker. And it's got all kind of like gizmos and lights and knobs and twirly things and stirs and gadgets. It's incredible. Only, only one thing. You would never, or I couldn't at least, figure out how to use it without the instruction manual. Thank God for the manual. Otherwise, I'd stare at that coffee maker like my dog stares at my laptop like, that looks cool, yo, but I can't figure out what it does, you know, but if I can learn to read the instruction manual, I can figure out how to use the machine properly. Now, the ancient Greeks believed that the universe worked kind of like a coffee machine with a cosmic instruction manual, as in there is a way to run life, live life properly. You get there by learning how to read that cosmic instruction manual, and they called that thing the Logos. This is where we get our word logic, and our word actually word. The Logos, the word, the manual, the logical word. It was impersonal, the Logos was, but it existed out there, and you discovered meaning by following it and adjusting your life to it. 
And into that world, that conversation came the person of Jesus. And the writer John, one of his first followers, after watching Jesus of Nazareth live, heal, teach, suffer, die, and be resurrected. He took that phrase, the logos, to the horror of the Greeks. And he said, yep, there is a word, there is a logos, there is a right way to live and to find meaning, but it has become flesh, human. And the logos, the word, it put on skin and became human. See, John was picking up this philosophical, technical phrase from the Greeks and saying, ah, that is Jesus Now, Luke Ferry is a French thinker, professor. He's not a Christian. In his textbook he wrote on philosophy, he wrote a chapter about the Christian faith called The Victory of Christianity. And here's what he said about John chapter 1. He said, quote, For Greek thought in general and for Stoicism in particular, the idea that the Logos could designate anything other than the rational order of the universe was unthinkable. In their eyes, to claim that a mere mortal could constitute the Logos or the word incarnate, as the Gospels express it, was insanity. By resting its case upon a definition of the human person and an unprecedented idea of love, Christianity was to have an incalculable effect upon the history of ideas and the philosophy of human rights. So unlike the secular person who says that meaning only comes from within, Christians would say, no, 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 it actually comes from outside us. Oh, but unlike the Greeks who said that outside meaning was impersonal, you couldn't know it. Christians said, no, meaning has become literally personal as in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is the way, the truth, the life, and therefore... Here's the implication. To have a meaning in life that nothing in this life can take away. A meaning that is literally indestructible. Means you have to come to know and have a relationship with him. With Jesus. See, Christians say that the ultimate meaning in life is relational. It's relating to the God who made you. You now conform to him through a personal relationship with him. But you're saying, Morgan, how, how can I trust him, Morgan? A relationship like, like works both ways. There's both parties have to give. And if you're saying, thinking that right now, you're right. But consider this. Consider that the God of the universe has already conformed to you. He went first. See, God, in the person of Jesus, came into this world. He put on skin, conformed to the human form, the human flesh, the humanity. He came into the death camps of this world. He knows what it's like to suffer, to lose everything. And yet he triumphed over it. He came back from the other side to prove to you. And to me forever, that this world is not a closed system. This world is not a, like a box with an impenetrable lid. No, the meaning of existence doesn't just exist as a cold concept. Nor is ultimate meaning just given as laws from a mountaintop at a distance. Now, Jesus gave himself for us up close personally on a cross for you, for me today. Jesus himself has proven to be indestructible. See, even the death camp of human existence couldn't keep him down and buried and gone. Jesus is the indestructible meaning in life. Let me ask you, do you have that? Indestructible meaning in life. Maybe this past year has shown you like it's shown me that you've been hanging on to things that can be destroyed, taken away, shaken, 
Maybe this past year has shown you like it's shown me that, that I've placed meaning. I didn't even know it somehow in a shallow, temporary, destined to not last kinds of things. Maybe you're a Christian. You've discovered or you've forgotten even. The words of the hymn, I hope, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And maybe, maybe, no matter where you are today, you're, you're open to something better. Open to a better, permanent, indestructible meaning in life. And if that's you, and I hope that is, I hope you'll take a moment here as I close to pray with me. If you've never even asked for that meaning to come into your life before, maybe you consider taking a step closer towards that here with me as we pray right now. Would you bow your heads wherever you are just for a moment? Lord, we just come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for what this literally means. We're not left creating meaning. We're not left making it up only to see it washed away or taken away or crushed by pain, despair, loss, or death. There is an indestructible meaning in life, and you've given it to us in the form of yourself. And Lord, I'm praying for all those who may not know you right now, don't even believe in prayer or any of this, and somehow, maybe, in the middle of all they're going through, that this idea would shine out like a beacon. Their hearts would be drawn toward it today. And for all of us who would call ourselves Christians, we would believe and we would know, remember, because you live. The song says, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, all fear is gone. Because we know you hold the future. Life is worth the living just because you live. Church, thank you for being with here with us today. God bless you. I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to be continuing on in this series and give you yet another reason I think it's worth tuning in for and for believing. At this point, I ask Pastor Nathan to come up and close us. Thank you, church. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.